0: You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixton Community Church. We've been on a series called The Belt of Truth. As a leadership, we felt it was important to go over some of our Fundamental beliefs as a church, because as new people join us and some of us just forget over time, it's important to reinforce not so much values, but just stuff that the Bible teaches that we believe and follow as a church. So um, I started in January by talking about what the belt of truth was and how important that is. And then we've been through some of the truths that we believe as a Christian things about ourselves without God, what it is like. Um, at a spiritual theological level to be me without Jesus and we've learned about who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is and and who we are when we give our lives to Jesus and then last week William taught us um, some truths about baptism and today we're going to look at some truths about communion. In fact, I've got four key truths about communion to help you make the best of it. And due to a rotoring error, probably my fault, we were supposed to have communion today, and uh, there's a bit of a mix-up. But I think it's kind of nice that I'm talking about communion while communion's not in the room. Uh, and so when we come to communion next week, um, we'll be kind of ready to come with uh, a new passion for what this is all about. I've got mixed experiences of the communion service or holy communion or mass or Lord's Supper or whatever, breaking of bread or uh, love feast or whatever else you want to call it that people have called it over the the years. I grew up in a church a lot like this one where we had individual cups of non-alcoholic grape juice and actually broken up um, water biscuits there were, I think, uh, cream crackers or something like that. And uh, at the end of the service, I would see other kids uh, in the kitchen at the back of the church, scooping them off this silver plate and eating them. Um, and uh, other other women saying, don't do that, it's disrespectful. And people might be offended because that represented, uh, a few minutes ago, that represented the body of Christ. And um, so we would wait in our chairs quietly in possibly in silence or there might be a hymn playing quietly on an organ um, or or, or later on a piano and you'd, you'd sit there with your eyes closed waiting for the gentle hand of a deacon on your shoulder uh, to let you know that the, that the bread and wine was being passed around. And then in other churches, you'd, you'd come to the front and receive communion, or in bigger churches, there'd be stations around the place. I've even been to a church that had croissants and orange juice for communion. I thought it was ridiculous. If you're going to do... I mean, understand croissants could represent... Body, I guess, just as much as any other bread, and that'd be quite nice. But at least use a red colored juice. I think the guy was just trying to be radical and different. Um, anyway, croissants and communion, I've, I've had communion with jazz playing in the background. Um, that was at an Anglican event as well. It was quite weird. Um, jazz, they had a jazz band while we all celebrated communion. And, and so th- there, there are other things that go on in different churches. And when I became a, a teacher of a of a very strict um, Christian school at a Church of England school, I was told by the person who made my appointment, and there there was a whole bunch of clergy uh, doing the interview as well as the school, um, and the clergy told my boss... Um, you need to anglicanize Mr. Pets. You need to anglicanize him. Um, and so my boss, who was an Anglican and became a vicar in the Church of England, said, i've been told I need to anglicanize you. Here's a Book of Common Prayer. Uh, and that was it. Because he didn't really care, he 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 was saved through Billy Billy Graham ministry and spent a lot of time in a Methodist church, and he was filled with the Spirit and spoke in other languages, and um, and, and he re- wasn't really caught up in all the Anglican tradition, although he was involved in teaching some of it. But in those in those days, uh, I spent 19 years in that school. We had four cathedral services a year, absolutely wonderful cathedral service, A thousand kids in there. There used to be 1,200 kids in. the same cathedral uh, and then because that's how many kids there were uh, and then the health and safety said it's too full so some of the year groups had to stay behind on rotation and have a special assembly somewhere else but anyway a thousand kids in the cathedral um, and they would all go up to the altar whether they were christened or not and all this sort of thing but you could only take the bread and wine if you were um, if you'd been christened and confirmed um in in a in a recognized church and there were churches that were listed and otherwise you would go for a blessing so um i, I as an re teacher i was allowed to um de- deliver the the chal- big chalice of fifteen percent alcoholic wine, um, and but to do that, I had to get a, a written permission from the bishop. So I was licensed by the bishop to serve alcohol to children, and um, it's, it's it's just it's just great, isn't it? And so you would you would do this. Um, they, they would come down this uh, this line down here and. Um, it's Aisle—that's the word. Come down the aisle, and and, and there'd be stations in different places, and you'd and they'd queue up, and and you wouldn't know if they were Christian or not. And and by the time we left, um, but sorry, by the time I left, there were more and more Muslims in the school, uh, and they were they they signed up to the school because it was a school that honoured God, and and they would just go along with the tradition, but they wouldn't take communion. Um, They'd just go up for a blessing, and so they'd either get communion or a blessing. And the the key was if you're going to take communion you just go up to the front like that and, and you take the bread first and you open your hands in sort of crossed like that to so symbolise the cross and you put the wafer in the hand um, or the, the priest would do that and some, some proper clergyman would do that because if, if you weren't going to take that, you'd get a blessing and only the vicar can do the blessing. So, um, although I did get away with doing blessings once, but the, the, the bishop didn't know. Um, and And he... And, and he would know if they were confirmed or not, um, just by looking in their eyes. No, I'm joking. He, they, they'd carry a service card. If you're not going to take communion, carry a service card with you. And that was the that was the code for I'm not taking communion. I'm going to um, I, I'm going to I'm going to just come and receive a blessing. So they'd be the kids would be ushered out row by row, come to the front, and take the thing. Now the thing is. That's all just tradition. There's nothing wrong with any of that. That's all fine with me. Um, some of the beliefs of some of the clergy, because we had to call in clergy from the district, to, um, from the diocese, to, to, to help administer all of this. And some of them had different views about what the bread and the wine was, the wafer and the wine. And so some believe that when it was prayed over, it actually changed in substance. You may know the idea of transubstantiation. Trans means to cross and substance. It's it's a change of substance in a spiritual way. Um, they would say that even if you you did a lab test, you could sort of regurgitate and do a lab test, it would still be bread and wine. But in a spiritual sense, it was the body and blood of of Jesus. And and I never found that in the Bible, except where Jesus says, this is my blood. So you can take that literally. Um, However, that's... You can work alongside these people, nothing wrong with that. There's, there's worse things to argue about, I guess. Um, but what happens when you spill the wine? Because that is Jesus' blood. That's really important to these people. So. In 19 years, this happened once, but um, my colleague, who was also licensed by the bishops to serve alcohol to young children, um, was, was doing the, the, this is the blood of Christ thing. And there's, this, there's the thing of, um, when the kind of year seven, sort of 11, 12-year-olds, they just stand there like that, and you have to just feed them like... They just don't take any initiative. By the time they're in year eleven and they're ready to leave, um, they grab the chalice off you and knock back as much as they can because it's fifteen percent alcohol, and they want to stagger back to school. So you have to kind of keep. So it's, do I let go or do I let them? You know. And so anyway, that whole tension went on with my colleague and this year ten boy who's about fourteen. And both my colleague and the year 10 boy thought the other person was going to hold the chalice. And it went crashing to the floor. And, you know, it's probably about half a litre of, of Jesus' blood in the, and in the mind of the, the, the vicar who's doing the blessing or giving out the bread. And it's just all over the cathedral floor. And the look on this is obviously what we call a high church. Vicar, because that means that you believe in, in, in transubstantiation, and this is the blood of Jesus on the floor. So what do we do now? Well, it was all down his blazer as well, the boy, and so he said that the the, the, the vicar stepped in and said, "Don't mop it up. There's a special way of mopping up. Mopping it up. Um, we'll do it afterwards. Ritual. You know, there's a ritual way of um, mopping it up. Put a chair around it or, or over it, and and." Um, and, went, and, and then he looked the boy in the eye and said, "When you get home, burn your blazer." That was it. Um, so the boy, I, I caught up with the. Boy. We had to walk back to the school from the cathedral, and I caught up with him. And rightly or wrongly, you can judge, I said, "You don't have to burn your blazer if you don't want to," because he was feeling awful. You know, you know, fourteen-year-old boy. He, he, you could tell he just felt like an idiot because he felt like he'd caused this accident to happen. Um, and just out of a bit of compassion, I found him, picked through a 1,000 kids to find him and said, you don't have to burn your blazer if you don't want to. Your washing machine will probably do. And he said, I'm not going to, sir. I'm not going to burn my blazer. You know, I think of his poor mum having to fork out for a new blazer because the vicar had told him to burn it. So there's lots of different things. But you think about... How kids grow up with all that experience, and most kids today don't grow up with any explanation as to what communion is, anyway. Um, but those of us who do, and then you've got Catholic people who have, um, and some Anglicans who have my first communion celebrations, and you have your communion um, outfit, and, and dress, and cards, and celebrations, and all that sort of thing it actually leads to, rather than Holy Communion, holy confusion. And so um, what I wanted to do today was only look in the Bible... All right? not to look to the traditions of man, um, because when you start researching it, and a lot of the people who, who do research this and, and want to get this right look to the early church. But I don't mean the early church in the book of Acts. They look beyond Acts as what became tradition soon afterwards. And what I want to do today is just look in the Bible. And so we're going to look at four truths, and some of them will be basic for you and some of them um, the the last one is something I just feel like if I was teaching this on a curriculum I wouldn't overplay this point but today I want to because I feel it's important for this church. So um, first key is when we come to the bread and the wine next week remember Jesus died for you Now, I know this is basic, all right? And you might think that's not a revolutionary truth. But actually, when you're sitting there week after week, or in our case, fortnightly, isn't it easy to be remembering lots of other things? Isn't it easy... The fact that for some of us, we've rushed to get here, we missed breakfast because we were late, we're tired, we perhaps had to bundle kids into the car. In fact, it's just gone quiet for the first time in your week, and so your mind seizes the opportunity to remind you of all those things you haven't had time to think about. For many people, it's the first time in their week. Well, if you think of Sunday as the first day in the week, that's quite easy. Um, It's the first time in a while where you've actually sat in silence. And the danger is, if you're not prepared, if you haven't prepared your heart and mind, your mind just goes straight on to the next thing. And you might have missed breakfast and you're hungry and and then you're just tantalising your taste buds with a few crumbs. He start thinking about dinner, so I just ask you too, and I ask myself to, try and train my minds to see the bread and the wine as symbols all over again, as a reminder, as a visual, physical. Reminder. It says in the Bible, and this is um, the Apostle Paul speaking, who um, is writing to the church in Corinth, reminding them what their worship should look like. He says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in Remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So he gave thanks and he said, Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember Jesus' death. If you don't know Jesus as your savior, come along next week. This week, you can put that right and you can let Jesus into your life. Let me just explain. Jesus died for you. Let me be really blunt with you. You're not good enough for heaven. You'd spoil it and so would I. Jesus had to come from earth as God in human form, live a perfect life and die as a punishment for your sins and mine. Doesn't sound fair. It wasn't fair. We all deserve punishment for the wrong things we've done. We always feel like other people should get punished when they do something wrong. But it's also true of me and you. We deserve punishment. And Jesus lived a perfect life, so he didn't deserve punishment. Yet he took all our punishments for us on the cross. And that's what we're remembering If you want to receive that information for the first time, we'll pray at the end and uh, we can talk afterwards and come along next week and celebrate communion for the first time and remember his death. And we're going to do that continuously until he comes. That's the first key to making the most out of communion, is to remember Jesus died for you. The second one's a little bit longer and it's to celebrate your freedom, to celebrate your freedom. In that event that Paul was just re- recounting, the Apostle Paul that I just read from the screen when he was writing to the church in Corinth, he was referring back to the first time Jesus started all of this with his disciples and it was during Passover. Now, Passover was a very important Jewish festival. In fact, for Jews, it's still the most important festival. It's the festival that celebrates the whole event where God rescued Israel from slavery. In fact, they weren't called Israel yet. They were called the Hebrews. They were just a massive extended family called the Hebrews. He, he rescued them from slavery in Egypt and through Moses's leadership under God's direction, they were set free. And in that moment, they passed over from slavery into freedom as the angel of death passed over their houses and allowed them to to go free. And as they did that, or as the angel of death passed over their houses, it was because they had had this lamb meal and they'd sacrificed a perfect lamb. had to be spotless. It was a foreshadow of Jesus, but they didn't know that. They had to sacrifice a perfect lamb and smear the blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would know which houses to pass over. And so every year from then, they celebrate this victory over slavery that God wrought for them, allowed them to have, and Jesus was Jewish, and so he celebrated Passover. His disciples were, his first disciples were Jewish. They celebrated Passover too. And so when we come to this passage, it's ordinary for the disciples to be in Jerusalem, flocking together, wanting to celebrate Passover together, celebrate this great victory that they had generations ago but remembering that actually for them that was where Israel was born as a nation until now they were an extended family of slaves in Egypt but now they were set free and yes they were in the desert and took them a while to get to their destination but they were seen as a nation that was their birth as a nation so a massive thing for them normal for them to go to Jerusalem if possible and celebrate the Passover and so Jesus is just saying, well, we're going to have Passover together, guys. Let's, let's, um, let's prepare. And he says, they left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, they didn't even know how he was going to suffer, but he says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Well, why would Jesus eagerly desire to eat this Passover with them? Well, he he gives a clue in the next sentence, because I'm not going to eat it again for a long time, not in the way that you're going to eat it with me now. This is my last supper with you. I've eagerly desired it. The, The real reason I think he was eagerly desiring to eat this Passover is found in another of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, where he says, Christ, the Passover lamb, has been sacrifice. See, for the Jews, the sacrificial meal, sorry, that the Passover meal was a celebration and it symbolized, and that they have all sorts of things, more than bread and wine, uh, and, and each element on the table symbolizes a different part of their human suffering that they had in Egypt. They eat bitter herbs to remind them of the slavery. They eat something called charoset, which is, um, which reminds them of, of um, today Jews use that to, to remind them of um, of cement that they used to have to make when they were working as slaves. They have all sorts of things um, that remind them of different things on on the cedar plate. And it symbolises this one event of being set free. But for Jesus, it symbolised something so much more. For Jesus, Every time, before he even came to earth, when when the Son of God in heaven saw Jews taking Passover, he wasn't just looking back, he was looking forward, and he could see that this is a foreshadow of something mightier, greater, more incredible than these Jewish people could ever understand. He eagerly had desired to eat this Passover with them because it was the last Passover would symbolise the past, and it would be the first. Passover that started to symbolize something in his near future and even though there was so much pain set before him he knew he was going to have to be the Passover lamb once and for all he knew that he would have to suffer and die on the cross he took that knowing the joy that was set before him that's you lot You're the joy that Jesus had in mind when he eagerly desired to eat that Passover because he knew that it symbolised the fact that he was the Passover lamb once and for all. Incredible. Which is why we don't sacrifice lambs in this church. And so when it comes to the reading we had before, um, and Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The disciples could have said, they're gathering round and they're doing the Passover meal and there was a script, there were things that are said, you can read them in the Old Testament and there are things that Jews say today when they have a Passover meal uh, and Jesus goes off script and he takes what we think is the fourth cup because there's different cups of wine symbolising different things and he says, this is cup is the new covenant in my blood the disciples says what do you mean this is the old covenant this is this is passover we're celebrating the old covenant with moses and 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 the fact that you know we're going to be god's people and he's going to look after us and he's going to rescue us from slavery no this is the new covenant those disciples who are, who are scripture savvy will have known that Jesus perhaps was saying that what he was doing in that moment was fulfilling what the prophets had already predicted years, hundreds of years before. Look at what Jeremiah said. He said in Jeremiah 31, the days are coming, this is hundreds of years before Jesus, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand. See, Passover, it's not going to be like Passover. It might be remembered at Passover, but it's so different. It's a new covenant. When I, I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, He goes on to say in a couple of verses, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And that's the new covenant that we get to share in. When we take the bread and wine, we're celebrating our freedom. We're we're celebrating our freedom from law, from needing to sacrifice a perfect lamb every year, from needing to take other sacrifices to God to say sorry, Jesus has been the one sacrifice, the true sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And that's what he said he was. That's who we believe he was. Let's celebrate our freedom. So I don't know if these concepts... If if you were to come to church for the first time and find Jesus and you'd never had communion before... And so, and then you were asked, well, what should communion look like? You, for you to think that, you, you need to put all your past experiences on the shelf, including ours, including everything that we've done in the past, and think, well, what should communion really look like? It's a place where we remember Jesus died for us. It's a place where we celebrate our freedom. And the third thing out of four is that we're going to proclaim his victory. Well, the Bible says we're going to proclaim we do proclaim his death until he comes, but his death is our victory. It says in 1 Corinthians 11:26 for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're proclaiming the Lord's death. Did you know that you are a preacher? If you take communion, you're a preacher, because it's the same word, proclaim and preach. So do you feel like you're preaching when you take the bread and the wine? I don't. I'll be honest. And so this sermon's good for me too. Well, I think there's three ways in which we are proclaiming something, proclaiming God's death, Jesus' death. When we take communion, we, we're, we're actually just reminding ourselves. We sing that song, don't we? I remind myself of all that you've done. And I feel like when I take that bread and wine, the first thing I need to do is just tune in and point one, remember his death, but proclaim it to myself. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Sometimes you just got to have some self-talk. And so when you're taking communion, have a bit of self-talk and say, Jesus did this for me. Proclaim to yourself. Talk to yourself. You, know, you might be thought of as mad if you talk to yourself, but if you don't talk positive things to yourself, something else will talk other things to you. So you might as well talk to yourself and make sure it's positive things. And when you're taking communion, more important than ever, let's tell ourselves what Jesus has done for us. So we're proclaiming his death to ourselves, but we're also proclaiming it, secondly, to one another. We can see people around us doing the same thing. Communion literally means togetherness. Or that the word communion is all about being together. It's where we get the word commune from. And so it's something we look at one another doing. So should I have my eyes closed waiting for the gentle tap on the knee or the, on the shoulder? Or should I be actually watching people, without saying a word, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes well, the third way in which we're proclaiming and I think the most powerful, if we really get a hold of it, is that we are, we're doing warfare in the spiritual realms. We're proclaiming to the spiritual realms, the heavenly forces that we, we don't even see around us. Because you know, it's the most hated event in history for the devil, is Jesus' death and resurrection. It's the most hated event. And for us to celebrate it, blatantly boldly is declaring to the devil every time you take that bread and take that wine we're declaring to the devil you lost you lost death could not hold him down and i'm proclaiming this I'm proclaiming this to the heavenlies. As I take this bread and I take this wine, let it be to me the body and blood of Jesus. Let it be to me everything that Jesus wanted it to be. And I'm proclaiming that to a whole world I can't even see, but believe is there. Let's do spiritual warfare when we take communion. So, we're proclaiming victory. We are Celebrating freedom, remembering what Jesus has done. And the, the, the fourth one, which is the one, um, maybe I won't labour as far as time goes, but certainly I, I really want to stress this point, is that we connect with others. And, and this morning when I looked over this again, I kind of thought, well, connect with others is it not enough because we connect with God as well. But um, I just wanted to declare over this church that this is a place of unity, and it's just been really heavy on my heart um, the last six months, really, that if the enemy's going to try and get into this congregation and do something, it's going to be just through relationships, just broken relationships. And we've just got to keep forgiving one another, keep loving one another, keep in community and just not let, not let anything get between us. And, uh, and, and so that's, that's kind of, I might be preaching on that later in the year as well once this series is done. I've just got a feeling that uh, we're going to just talk a little bit more about the oneness that we have and, and that we actually have to work to keep that bond of peace. It doesn't happen naturally. It has to happen supernaturally because there's no way I can get on with you lot. Um, and there's no way you can sit and listen to me and, and, and suffer all this without without some kind of Holy Spirit anointing. So um, we need God's Spirit to cause us to fellowship in a way that is supernatural. Uh, and so the unity of the saints is so important. You're all saints. The, the unity of, of brothers and sisters in Christ is so heavy on me at the moment. I just feel like I, I've just got to preach that maybe to prevent something, maybe just to, to put something right I don't even know about. Um, but we've just got to keep looking in each other. Um, So here we are. Four keys to making the most of communion. Let's see it as a togetherness thing, okay? Um, now, I know there are people who take communion on their own. I, I've, heard of, I've even heard a preacher say how he got ill and he, he took communion every morning in his bedroom. Well, that, that's fine. That's his decision. But I just think the primary purpose of communion in the Bible was that it was something the church did when they gathered together. Uh, and so it says, is not the cup, in, sorry, in 1 Corinthians 10... Um, 16 it says is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of christ so first of all we have communion with god we commune with him it's fellowship it's togetherness we we have fellowship with god through the blood of jesus because of what he did because of everything i've said because of jesus the perfect passover lamb we have fellowship with god it's incredible that we can have fellowship with God, we can walk boldly into the throne room and say, Hi, Dad. It sounds flippant, doesn't it? But it's because of Jesus, our brother, Jesus, our saviour, Jesus, King of kings, we have communion with God. And is not the bread that we break a partition in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many... Are one body, for we all share the one loaf. now there's symbolism there of Jesus being the bread and, and and being broken for us, but I just believe there is something significant in the, in, in the idea that we are one body, and just as that you know <laughs> Going back to my childhood and having these broken up wafer biscuits or whatever they were, um, I kind of like the idea that we have a a loaf at the front that's broken. um, Because for me it kind of symbolises us as the body of Christ, because we're the body too, uh, and it's kind of been distributed out to all of us. Um, And then if you just kind of were to watch that in reverse, you just see all those bits of bread uh, coming back and and being one again. And it's kind of that imagery in my head of of just one loaf, one body, one church. There is something about communion for me that is all to do with community. And we're a community church, but we're also a church community. We are together in Christ. So um, they're my four points. We're going to remember his death and if you haven't accepted Jesus as your saviour, we'll say a prayer in a few moments and we're going to celebrate his freedom. We're going to proclaim his victory and we're going to connect with others and with Jesus over communion. So let's not get too legalistic about it. There may be other ways of doing it that aren't your tradition, aren't what you grew up with. There may be some things that I've missed out that you would have included if I were to say, what are the key points to remembering Jesus' death? Or what are the key points to doing communion? You might have added something, and they might have been right. But they're the four things I thought of as I looked in Scripture this week And let's not get too legalistic about doing some of the other things, but also let's do something else that Paul instructed the Corinthian churches, and that's to do everything in decency and in order. We don't want any chaos. And um, you could take what I've said and say, well, let's just have this family knees up and remember his death that way. I just think there's got to be some kind of solemnity about what Jesus went through for me, the pain he went through. Um, can I ask you not to chat? Um, I've, I've had three people come to me independently saying, John, there's someone chatting during communion. Um, can you just respect people around you? Because I, I feel like I haven't heard people chatting because I'm at the front, but... I feel like what I'm hearing is if three people come to me and say, uh, people are chatting during communion, they're not even praying, they're not even. I can tell they're just talking about other stuff. Can you just sit quietly just for one moment, please? Let's do this properly. Let's celebrate his death with some respect. Um, but maybe also there'll be other ways that we can celebrate uh, communion, as long as we do it decently and in order, following these points, maybe some others that you've thought of, but... Um, I just thought that would be so important for us to think about, and especially this thing about unity, that there's, there's this one loaf shared on Sunday, but demonstrated in the world, this oneness that people see, see how those Christians love one another. Isn't that incredible? And that's just all symbolised in that communion service. So there were just some thoughts I felt I had to pray um, pray through and sorry, speak through. Let's pray now in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. For more information visit Brixham.Church